0: I was working in the lab late one night When my eyes beheld an eerie sight He did the monster
1: man. It was a graveyard
2: Jarring cacophony, slightly different from normal episodes, tells you you're listening to the Power of Three podcast, where three lifelong Doctor Who fans, I'll introduce them to you shortly, discuss, enthuse and occasionally criticise a trio of products related to our favourite show. That might be televised adventures, both classic and recent. It could be spin-off novels, books about the show, biographies, magazines, basically anything that gives us the excuse to talk about Doctor Who. And I will now introduce my co-conspirators. Say hello, Davy.
3: Hello, everyone. I'm spooky David Steele.
2: Kenny, say something. Hi, I'm Kenny, and I ain't afraid of no army of ghosts. <laughs> Just in case you hadn't worked out, dear listener, as you, and that, uh, I use the singular deliberately, uh, this was intended to be a Halloween episode. Uh, but we missed our de- own deadline, so we're doing it anyway. Yes. Uh, and talking about the thing that basically defines Doctor Who for for family v- audiences, which is how scary it is supposed to be. And to that end, we've each chosen our own favourite scary story. I don't know if we describe it as the scariest, in our own opinion. Is that what we're doing? or is No, it... not really. I,
3: I just went for the one that had the, the strongest lingering memories of being scared by.
1: Yeah. You saying that I... I'll explain. It. I'll put it in context later as to why I came to this one, but
2: it's not an obvious scheme. Right. I will. I will pour the tea. You've already poured your tea without pouring mine. Thanks a lot, guys. Oh, we can't star. be. to your mug. You're too that's, far away. Terrific. Go go. Gadget arm. We've uh, we'll do these in chronological order, uh, which means that the first one, uh, the wiki dot page, will
3: be read out by the lovely Davy. The Demons was the fifth and final serial of season 8 of Doctor Who. It concluded a series-long succession of stories featuring the master ending with his incarceration. However, the character continued to appear on an occasional basis during season 9 and season 10. This was the last ever five-part Doctor Who television story following only the Dominators and the Mind Robber from season 6. Again, I'm laughing at the priorities. That's, that was not, that's not what springs to mind when you talk about the demons, is that's it? That's right. It's a five-parter. It's <laughs> a five-parter. Disgraceful. Right. So, but
2: Well, I, I chose this one for all... Well, mainly because there is nothing wrong or bad about this, this particular story. This is perfect Doctor Who for me. Now, partly it's because of the, of the age. So it was broadcast, what, 72, 71? Uh, certain, uh,
3: final story
2: of the 71 one series, yeah. Right. Uh, so I would have been seven, and it scared the bejesus out of me. I mean, it genuinely scared me. Uh, at one point, after it had been shown, after the final episode had been shown, I remember vividly one of my memories was being in a car on a family trip and my two big brothers teasing me about going to hell. When you die, you go to hell and right. you're tormented by demons. That's the kind of screw up thing that oh happens to you goodness. when you're from Ayrshire. <laughs> and, and my big brothers, and, and they were talking about Azal at the end of, of the, the demons. They said, Eho, Eho, Azal. And they said, That's who will be tormenting you oh when you die. Goodness. And I remember bursting into floods of tears oh, no. and well, my well, mum, and d- mum having to intervene to tell my big brothers to stop teasing me. How,
3: how much older, how much of an age difference gap was there between you and your brothers? Uh,
2: five and seven.
3: Right. So they were, they were old enough to know better. Were oh, confused. yes. That's, that's, terrible. Terrible. that's what you do with your younger brother, that's isn't it?
2: But you can see, even now when you watch it, you can see why it would scare anyone. I mean, first of all, it starts off at the Barrow, and the atmosphere is wonderful, and you don't know what's in the Barrow, what's going to happen. You've got this, this white witch warning everybody <laughs> not to open it, and she is brilliant in it. And... You've got the, the fantastic scenes where it's the BBC Three coming to you yeah. um, and reporting yeah. live from... As, as if, even in 1971, as if you'd get a live broadcast <laughs> for the opening of a battle. But nevertheless, it, it adds to the atmosphere.
3: Exactly the sort of thing you would get on BBC Three nowadays, I think. Yeah, well, probably. <laughs> um, Except there'd be half-naked chicks on exactly. it. Devil's End. The very name sends a shiver up the spine. The witches of Devil's End the famous Curse, the notorious cavern underneath the church where the third
0: Lord Aldbourne played at his 18th century parody of black magic. Devil's End is part of the dark mythology of our childhood days,
3: and now for the first time the cameras of the BBC have been allowed inside the cavern itself. In this cavern, pagan man performed his unspeakable rites. In this cavern, the witches of the 17th century hid from the fires of Matthew Hopkins, witch hunter extraordinary. In this cavern, but
2: I could go on all day. So there's that, and then you, you've got what is probably the, one of the best monsters, and I'm not talking about Azal, who, you know, is fine, but Bok, the, the, the gargoyle. Mm-hmm. That is just... Ingenious. When 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 that little bugger comes walking over the hill and yeah. the doctor and Joe are in the barrow, I must have wet myself. Yeah. That was horrifying. Yeah.
1: It's a, such a clever idea, bringing an inanimate object made out of stone to life. you you think they'd have done it more, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, indeed, absolutely. But no, it's, it's as you say, Tom. It's brilliant. It's just even the whole the whole body language. I think it's um, Stanley Mason's the actor who plays Bok. and it's just the fact he absolutely. He obviously he has no lines, but the whole body movement and things like that is brilliant, absolutely. Very creepy.
2: You know, you've got all these wonderful set pieces. You've got a fantastic atmosphere. You've got a kind of Wickerman uh, vibe going on in the village. You've got, you know, the hostile villagers, the the unwanted uh, intruders from Unit and, and the Doctor and Joe, obviously. You've got the wonderful scene with the heat barrier around the, the, the town, which is straight out of Midwich Cuckoo's, uh, which course, I loved at yes, the time of the, yes. the the televised version of the, the the film version, Village of the Damned. Uh, and I will always remember that point where the Brigadier pointed with his stick and the end of his stick explodes into flames. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember thinking about that for years afterwards. It was such a brilliant notion. You've got the, the master who is just wonderful in it. And at that point, you know, he'd appeared in every episode, but I didn't care because mm-hmm. I loved him. Uh, And a few years later, the reason why this story is doubly important to me is because, and I think I've probably mentioned this to you before when we were talking about the Target books in the very first episode, but when I was staying overnight at my cousin John's in Cheltenham uh, when we were on holiday and I had nothing to read and I didn't even know there was such a thing as a doctor with a paperback and he had the demons. And I picked it up and read it, I think, in one sitting and the rest of that holiday I spent going around bookshops looking for Doctor Who paperbacks, and that's what <laughs> set me off and collecting them. So it was my first ever experience with the Target paperbacks, yeah. and it, it remains just, I think, the classic Doctor Who. I just, it's wonderful. I think it, you know, it's very much the, the quintessential
1: Perthway story. I mean, if you're thinking of a Perthway story, what more could you want? You've got, obviously, there's an alien influence, you've got Units, you've got an English village... John Z was into a coma, indeed. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Um, the master's in it. It's absolutely great. It's, it's
2: I just say, atmospheric. I mean, I... Great I church explosion at the end as indeed. well. Indeed. Have you ever been to Oldbourne? No, but I remember when I was watching, I said to Carlos, I wouldn't, I'd love to visit that, that village Great, Because actually, that is about 12 miles from, from where my wife grew up.
1: And when Katie was, I think she was in about two, we went down to visit that summer and I took Katie to Aldbourne and we had a wee wander about obviously she's in her pram and toddling about and when you go into the pub they had the sign for the cloven hoof Ah, which is still there inside the pub and obviously they've played up a lot of their Doctor connections Mm -hmm. over the years because it it does bring in a bit of passing train, but it's beautiful. It's just such, it's absolutely, you know, it's virtually untouched.
2: Now, th- tell me, is Kenny, you, you, or, or you, Dave, you might know, but, I mean, I've, I've expressed surprise before that they can go back as far as season 10 and produce a Blu-ray box set with the so-called upscaling technology. Are they going to go back any further than so, uh, season 10? Can they go back any further? Yes, they can. Um, I mean, what, the thing that they've been
1: doing so well is that you remember the story of course was black and white. the majority of mm-hmm. it was black and white apart from episode 5 for so long when you
2: say it was black and white you mean there yeah, the were only versions
1: were surviving of, in the archives where yeah. the black and white film prints sold abroad for foreign and still and then they realized with technology in the early 90s hang on we can take the color signal from an off air recording from America and we can boost it and warp the picture so it matches and they could overlay it the color signal onto the black and white image and of course, it then got its BBC Two repeat and BBC video release, which were absolutely phenomenal. And it was, I think, it was uh, the vo- the video box set at the time said it's you know almost like technology worthy of the Doctor himself. And it was incredible what they're able to do. Now they can vid
3: fire it and restore the look of the video as well. It just looks great. It's interesting actually. The, the um, to touch on that very quickly, the the VHS of the Demons for the longest time was. One of the most the when they deleted a lot of the Doctor Who VHS tapes and the Paul McGann film came out the, the VHS of the Demons was the was the expensive one on the secondary right. market thirty quid off eBay mine cost because I didn't buy it when it was released because wow. I and, I taped off the telly no but I remember um it was quite a big deal when they did the the colour restoration work you know full page feature in the Radio Times I think it even got a, a cover blurb mm-hmm. my memory of it was um recording episode one of the, at the repeat and starting to watch it again. And then I ended up ended up taping that night's episode of the Word over it. <laughs> the so Word from like halfway through the episode. The, the words st- and I was just so like you. You you,
2: no. you put Terry Christian
3: over I put episode L- one of the Demons. I put L, <laughs> L- seven performing pretend we're dead. That's a very, and if anyone, I won't go into detail about why that was such an important um moment in in in, in pop cultural history. But when I when we loaded when we did um L seven at the garage last year, it was very nice to finally meet the drummer face to face and say hello. Um, my my first memory of the demons was um. Sorry, I, I know exactly <laughs> what Dave's talking about. Right. Okay. So well, we'll pause pause for the laughter. I'll right. start again. Oh, no. My first memory of the demons, you, you know, you mentioned the book, Tom. I remember reading it. Um, at that, that sort of point, It was about nine or ten, and reading everything Doctor Who that I could get my hands on. We had the, Fox Bar, Public Library had the um had the hardcover with the the Andrew Sculater cover. Which was just a vazal, yes, yeah, so and sure. that gorgeous red neon logo and the red spine, and I, I, that was that was a book that I remember reading, you know, practically one go and reading many times. It's it's it's, it's, as Ken says, it's the quintessential Perthie. Barry Letts is you know involved. Chris Barry is directing, you know, everyone's at the the height of their game. It's mm-hmm. um, it is virtually flawless. There's so many good bits. It's a real shame that, that what we have now is a sort of isn't the original sort of six five line masters. It'd be lovely to just be able to watch it in absolute pristine, crystal clear. But it's it's just, as Tom said at the start, it's just so atmospheric. All yep. those scenes in the crypt, all those scenes with the villagers and the masters playing on them. and Yeah, the, the, ma- the characters. Oh, is, it, is it Delgado's best story, maybe?
2: Yeah, I, think, I, I think it probably is. Maybe, I mean, I love him in Sea Devils as well. It's um, terrific in the Sea Devils. But the master manipulator. I think, I think if I had to choose one classic adventure from the whole of the classics uh, years, I'd probably choose The Demons. The demons. Interesting. So just talking about Azal and what you were saying
1: earlier about your cruel, evil brothers. I remember when uh, you know, the Doctor Who Radio Times special, when there's that picture of Azal on the right-hand page. Obviously, he's, he's against the CSO blue background. But that page absolutely terrified me, and I had to get a piece of paper to cover it over so I could read the rest of the page because <laughs> okay. I was damn terrified. It's so delicate. I know. It's and of so course, delicate. the other, the other really scary thing from the, the demons that I'm surprised none of you men- have
2: mentioned as yet, is the appearance of Matthew Corbett without Suty. I remember reading this, it must have been in the Toby Hero book, the yep. running, th- running Through Corridors uh, uh, and I remember reading that thinking oh, I missed him completely. He's one of the villagers. He's one of the villagers and he—he—he's. He's, you see
1: him a couple of times very clearly he doesn't have a beard but he's very much Matthew Corbett. quite easy to spot?
2: It. Oh yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, because he's standing in the crowd going like that with his hand yeah. and there's <laughs> nothing on it. I mean. what, what you can see is
3: Tom's waving <laughs> his hand like <blanks> so <laughs> <added>. on it. <laughs> so Tom, what other you know, this, this is our Scary Stories episode, what other memories of stories do you have when you were younger that, that kind of put them up here if
2: scares well, you a little. it's all about age, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, let's face it, I mean, I love Doctor Who in later years, but it's when you're young and, and can be frightened that that's, mm-hmm. that's when you're most scared. And almost all of my scary memories are from Pertwee, the Pertwee era. I, I mean, I remember very vividly spearhead from space. I, I remember vividly watching the scene where the autumn is chasing the, the guy from the plastics factory uh, through the forest, and he takes refuge in a unit tent and then the autumn cuts the tent at the back, goes through and kills him. I was so terrified at that. I remember, you know, we talk about hiding behind the sofa. I never hid behind the sofa. I used the excuse of a packet of gypsy cream biscuits that I knew were in the kitchen. And I took that opportunity to leave the living room to go through to the kitchen and ask my mum for a gypsy cream as an excuse to get away from <laughs> the scene on television. That's awful. I hate gypsy creams. <laughs> um, and, 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 and the rest, so that was my first realisation that there was something really pretty scary. I, I remember a viv, a, kind of vaguely a scene from Invasion where a, a, a policeman is killed in the sewer. Uh, by a cyberman yeah, yeah. but I don't really remember any of the context I remember it was scary my big sure. brothers were scared yeah. but it was when John Petrie it was that it was the demons it was not so much season 10 because it got a bit older by then but, there's, but you know Terror of the autumns with the with the, the, the little imp baby coming to life right. um, these were all just stuck with me and, and actually it was Doctor Who I mean I have a long term love of horror films And it was Doctor Who that got me into that. I mean, I remember there used to be a series of horror films shown late on a Friday night on STV called Don't Watch Alone.
3: Craig Ferguson did a very funny routine about that, didn't he?
2: Right. And and, and I remember nagging my mum and asking if I could watch it, and I kept being told, no, you're too young, you're too young. Eventually she relented because I was a pain in the backside as a kid, but also because... Everyone else in the house wanted to go to their bed, and she wanted to watch horror films. She didn't want to watch them on her own. So she had let me stay up eventually. And I saw some of the best horror films I've ever seen. Night of the Demon, is the Mm -hmm. first time I saw it was in Don't Watch Alone. And of course there are some similar themes with the demons Mm -hmm. in Night Mm -hmm. of the Demon. And that is still my all-time favourite movie. I watch it, Carol and I watch it every year around about Halloween. Kenny, what does TARDISFANDOM.com say about Davy's choice in this uh, particular episode? Yes,
1: this is a slightly unusual one because I wouldn't have expected this, but we're now going to talk about The Invisible Enemy, which was the second serial of season 15 of Doctor Who. It saw the first appearance of K9. Now, you think that's where we would stop. <laughs> However, TARDIS <laughs> FANDOM t- oh no. has Indeed. Priorities. We have priorities. Uh, we're now about to learn this fact. Ready, folks? This story returned the fourth Doctor and Leela to the original TARDIS console room <laughs> from the beginning of season 14, now with a considerably updated appearance. With the changes to its features and the fact that the Doctor had reverted to using a different console room, all this time being explained as a deliberate attempt to redecorate the console. Does it say anything at all about the story of it the invisible enemy?
2: or Is it just going really over the well. console? Stay tuned, as John Turner would
1: say. Do we really need, need all the...
3: Oh, okay. keep going keep During going. the
1: production break between 1976 and 1977 seasons the newer gothic style TARDIS console set that had been designed to improve the comfort of the camera crew's filming duties was put into storage. However the wooden panelled walls of the set proved to be its greatest flaw when they warped out of shape while the prop was not being used. The damage was too extensive to repair and the new set had to be discarded in favour of adopting a replacement Based on the old
3: console no, design. This is all nonsense, though, because it's been established that all they basically did was take off the wood effect wallpaper and paint them white. Yeah, Clayton, Clayton right. and, and and Will uh, Will Brooks, friends of this parish. Well, I'd heard about work the walk theory sort of a while ago. It's rubbish. Yeah, it's, it's complete rubbish. It's um. So I
2: yeah. So. Isn't it disappointing that the target novelisation of this hardly ever goes into detail about consoles?
1: Yeah. And Indeed,
3: and
2: warped
1: walls. <laughs> the Doctor noticed the walls were warped, so they returned to the Honestly. original console room. What a load of nonsense. Priorities.
2: Answers. Right, yeah. Davey, why is, so, why is this your scary
3: episode? The Invisible Enemy. There's, there's a few um, stories that I have that sort of fond sort of memories of being frightened How old were you when you saw this? I was at about four and a half. Oh, wow, right. About four and a half. My Golly, early, you how are you? My earliest... Um, the... the my earliest sort of formative Doctor Who memories are, are generally all of being scared. Um, Quite right, too. I have very clear memories of the Deadly Assassin. It's probably the earliest one I clearly remember. And the thing about the Deadly Assassin was they repeated it a year later. And what I remember from the repeat, because this was um, down at my, my cousin's house the, the night before they moved to Southampton. Some, some steel family detail for you there. And the Deadly Assassin was being repeated on Friday nights, consecutive Friday nights, I believe. And I remember sitting and thinking, I've seen this one before, I know what happens, it's the cloud under the sand, it's the horse in the gas mask, it's the it's the wee train from Barshaw Park coming to get the doctor. Um I also have memories of 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 robots of death, of horrifying rock, um, of being, you know, Frightened by some of the detail of Talons of Wang Chang and some of the, and at the end of episode four of the Invasion of Time, getting a bit of a fright. But the Invisible Enemy, it so Invasion one, of Time
2: scared me, but not for the reasons yeah, you thinking. <laughs> for budgetary <laughs> reasons, maybe.
3: The um, it was the un, the unveiling of the Sentarians, which really gross me out. But the Invisible Enemy, it's it's interesting because the Invisible Enemy is a story, as a as a grown up, shall we say, it's not one that I've that I've seen very often. Um, it was a very late VHS release and so if it came out like maybe 10 years earlier or 15 years earlier I would have watched it to death but what sticks in my head about the invisible enemy at the age of 4 is the the whole general unsettling atmosphere of it all um when i i i have sort of clear memories of being quite young and you know being going to the doctors surgery in paisley just for checkups or whatever or for whatever reason and equating in my head somehow that doctors in in their surgeries were the same sort of people as Doctor Who. The Doctors just, you know, they had the... They all, I have in my head, they all travelled in time and space and they all had, you know, long scarves and things. But The Invisible Enemy, it's the end of episode three. You look at it now and it's a giant prawn. <laughs> but four-year-old David, after a couple of other episodes of people with weird, sort of like, you know, weird, scary long eyelashes and general, you know, the inside the Doctor's brain sort of stuff, a lot of which went over my head... It was that final scene now of episode 3, um, and it's the, on, the only preparation I did prior to, to us talking about this, was to, to re-watch the last 10 minutes of episode 3, when the nucleus of the swarm is taken from the, the Doctor's body, put into the sort of, a, what do you call it, the cabinet thing, and, and grows to its full size. Now, four-year-old Davy was absolutely terrified. I totally Absolutely behind the sofa, behind the couch, probably behind the chair in the moment. And I, to this day, I have never eaten a prawn. I've never, <laughs> eaten, I've never had a prawn cocktail. Never a prawn salad. I can't eat them because they just unsettle me. See, I imagine so much.
2: you're 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 saying, oh, okay, it looks like a giant prawn." Ha ha. I imagine that if you actually met a giant prawn, it'd be a scary thing well, to
3: see. see. They are the quite thing.
2: scary looking
1: buggers when yeah. you look yeah.
3: at that? Yeah, I mean, I I was four years old. You know, my parents were from Johnson. You know we. um, we, That's scary. Yeah. You know. Why would you be
2: scared of anything if you're from Johnson
3: You know, ten toes on each foot and all that. It's it was you know prawn. You know people laugh at it and say, "Oh, it's just a giant prawn." But when you're four years old, the chances are you haven't seen a prawn. You don't. It it was the most. It was the unreal sort of, and to this day I remember the sound effects. The sort of as it grew and it sounds like you know it's, it's very hard to describe. and it was it, completely unsettling now it's, I, I probably got bigger frights from Magnus Greel being unmasked in Talons of Wien Chiang, and bigger fright from the Sontaran taking its helmet off but the lingering unease that I feel from the, the invisible enemy has never left me um, See that's good television Yeah mm-hmm. you know, If that kind of image stays
2: with you Not just the image But if the atmosphere And, and, and the fright stays yeah. with you Over the years
3: That's top I have, television I have apparently. vague memories of, of the dog. We were also a doggy household vague, Very vague memories of K9 But I, I, was at, I was at that crucial point When I was starting to, to be aware of the narrative And you know, so it was maybe I think I started school the following year So I was, I was gradually being able to follow A few years later There was a you know, um, story called Full Circle written by Andrew Smith, friend of this parish, and Andrew's Andrew takes great delight when when I when I when I made him aware of this that um, I had bad dreams for years about being chased down corridors by marshmen. That that was. And I was about seven when that one, went out was so still young enough just to, mm-hmm. to be influenced. Um, but I, I I have no conscious memory of actually sort of being scared by, it, but the invisible enemy, the the atmosphere of the whole thing, the unreality of it, of inside the doctor's brain, and. Yep, A giant pawn. That's the thing that I found interesting about it, because when Dave told me his selection
1: story, I was like, really? But, you know, hearing everything that he said there, that absolutely makes sense in context. Um, but the whole idea of the fact that you've got the alien menaces growing inside the Doctor's brain you think this is the Doctor, he's our hero, he's untouchable. Aliens can't influence him. He's completely and utterly un- uncorruptible. And then lo and behold, what do we get here? We've got that creature inside him, he gets taken over. And to be able to take over the Doctor, a Time Lord, it's gotta be some kind of alien menace with strength and force. So it, it definitely I mean, the first two episodes, when I watched them, there's an awful lot of, oh God, look at this silliness. But it does create its own world very quickly when you look at all the the signage and things
2: like that in the background, the attention to detail is fantastic. See, I, I always assumed that but as I got older and I got less scared of it that by the time I got to for example the Sylvester McCoy era there was nothing in it that could scare anyone anymore but a friend of mine who's, who worked for me when I was in parliament and, and he's about 10 years younger than me I remember him saying to me once how horrified he was terrified by the candy man Right Bertie Bassett of course mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. and uh, And I couldn't believe it and I suddenly thought James maybe I've misjudged this maybe actually there was stuff in in the Sylvester McCoy era, particularly with his voice. the Candyman has a really creepy
1: voice. Yeah.
3: Yeah, this thing. There's a very famous quote from from John Nathan Turner about the memory cheats, and mm. you know, and I think, and he's basically sort of saying that um, there's a lot, he said that at a time when a lot of Doctor Who fans were criticising for what he was doing for the their perceived failings of the program, and I think. Jonathan Turner was, was on the nose when he said Memory Cheats because what he was realising was that the, something maybe a lot of the fans couldn't realise themselves. It was that as you grow up, the sense of unease and the atmosphere that entrances you as a child, you're going to lose that because you lose your childhood, and instance, your point of view expands, you get a bit more of a world view um, of how things are. And it's, it's just, The Invisible Enemy, is a story I've deliberately avoided revisiting just because it all, hmm. I think I've, I watched it once when I did my whole when it probably came out in VHS. I remember seeing some of it on a big screen at one of the Panopticon conventions in the nineties, um, and I watched it again when I did my whole big watch through the whole series. But for me, it still has, and so much the Henscliffe and Williams sort of era has that real, that real atmosphere. And I think I think Doctor Who is at its best. you know, we talked about the demons there, that has that atmosphere as well. I think when Doctor Who remembers that its roots are sort of, you know, in horror and you know atmosphere, it's really at its best. Tom, you're about to say, before we move on,
1: before we
2: move on, Tom. Oh, no. Tom,
1: (laughs) what is a dog's favourite Doctor Who story? I don't know. The Paws of Axos.
2: Now, read the TARDISFANDOM.com um, extract. Good Spark as- of Infinity. Sorry. Oh, that's, that's not Arc good Well done, Ken, That's much better. <laughs> <laughs> right, I will now read um, the TARDISFANDOM.com entry. God help us all. Uh, for uh, Kenny's choice for this scary episode of Power of Three Earthshock. Was the sixth serial of season 19 of Doctor Who. It was the final regular appearance of Matthew Waterhouse as Adric, who sacrificed himself in the closing moments of part four. It was notable for its high ratings, the deliberately unannounced return of the Cybermen, and the death of Adric. Indeed, this serial and Time Flight together offer producer John Nathan Turner his highest consistent chart positions. Earthshock was the only serial in GNT's time as the producer whose episodes were all in the top 50 of programmes watched on British television. JNT took a now well-known publicity gamble with this serial by deciding that he wanted to keep the return of the Cybermen a surprise. Normally there was a public gallery overlooking the studio floor at Television Centre, which allowed public viewing of proceedings. For Earthshock, JNT had this area closed and security kept people out. Nathan Turner also turned down a Radio Times photo shoot to ensure this secret did not leak out. The death of Adric was also a considerable gamble, since no long-running companion had ever been killed on Doctor Who before. Special downbeat titles were commissioned for the end of Part 4, making the final part the only episode as of 2018 to have no end theme music and play only silent credits. While there is no doubt that JNT and his team absolutely intended Adric's unambiguous death... The ending of the story has been materially changed by Big Finish's The Boy That Time Forgot, during which it was revealed that Adric did not die, but went on to live in a bubble universe the Fifth Doctor accidentally created before finally crossing back into the normal universe in Victorian London. And it doesn't say this, but that's a terrible, terrible idea. The story got a cinema treatment in BFI Southbank on the 17th of November 2018. Along with this experience, there was a Q&A with the writer Eric Sayward and actor Matthew Waterhouse. So, Kenny, tell yes. us about Earthshock. Earthshock might seem a slightly unusual choice for the story that scared you the most. Well, because of Beryl Reid. <laughs> I mean, come on, Beryl Reid! But you know, the thing
3: is, Beryl Reid at that time was appearing in Lunchtimes and it was at Mooncat or yeah. one of those programs. So, we knew who she was. Yeah, was well, we, we did. We thought she it was, was great. She was, it was she, was
2: a, she was a comic actor. Yeah but also
1: the killing of Sister George. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's true. True. yeah You're that's somebody yeah. who can, yeah, who can carry the gravitas. Wait, yeah, yeah, that's true. So put that into context. Beno Reed
2: uh-huh. is a starship captain, though. I know. Oh. Oh. It's just that juxtaposition. Sorry, Kenny. he the... on. Sorry, Ken.
3: <laughs> sorry, Ken. You swine. <laughs> You're hijacking me just I'm like a sorry, space mate. freighter. Yes, we heading are. Heading towards we the air. We are the Cybermen to your Beno I've been hiding
2: in this cardboard tube the whole time.
0: straight to my cabin. Captain. welcome aboard ma'am. don't call me ma'am on the bridge. sorry captain. get that transponder code fed into the navigational computer at once. I want to get underway. yes captain. seven hours they kept me waiting. seven hours. I'm exhausted were there problems with security? Earth's on red alert. some interstellar conference. that's why they're checking that bit more carefully. explains why we were scanned half a dozen times. well there'll be no more problems from now on. I've got to clear them straight through to Earth. our bonus is safe.
2: there was no mention of the missing crew members.
0: Mr. Ringway was concerned that might be the reason for you being delayed. oh panicking again was he? no no mention Mr. Ringway.
2: I just happen to think that uh, the disappearance of three crew members is rather important,
0: that's all So do I, mister But it's something that can be settled when we get back to Earth and our cargo's delivered safely, understood?
1: I think it's the, when I was watching Earthshot for the first time, I was eight So when it was going out in 1982, in fact not even quite turned eight So we had the whole set up, obviously it very much is based in an Alien and at that point I didn't know what Alien was, you know, you're talking like the darkened spaceship The corridors, the moody lighting, and what's going on, and of course the story starts off. We all think it's going to be something to do with dinosaurs. We're in the caves, and there's there's that rather atmospheric Malcolm Clark music, Mm. and then next thing we know, here's a pair of androids who obviously have a. You think oh it's going to be a story about androids, and then of course there's the last scene with destroy them now, destroy them at once, and there's the Cybermen, and of course that's great intro. I knew who the Cybermen were because I'd read my target novelizations by that point and of course you know all about the Cybermen from that really evocative Jerry Davis intro talking about how they could survive in the vacuum of space they had the strength of 10 men because their body parts had been replaced and that was the whole concept that really really terrified me the whole animated walking skeleton where you've had your brain removed. Uh, had you
2: watched Revenge of the Cybermen? No, nope, at this point oh, I'd I see never
1: it. seen it this yeah. was the first time I'd yeah. seen the Cybermen because in my mind it existed in black and white from the novelization I,
3: I um I knew who the side mine were at this point because I'd got the I'd got the novelization of the tenth planet at the Christmas just be just before that with you know, with, with Christmas money. Mm-hmm. So I my I remember at the end of episode one. Being like, Did you get the one with the Chris yes. painting yes. on the back as well as the No. No, no, yeah. no. See, I've um, got one. I've got oh. that. I've got it since. But um, I remember turning to my mom and just being like, "Mom!" Yeah. You know, and, and 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 Aileen was was excited too. It was the blooming Cybermen. It yeah. was a big deal. It was Absolutely. a big deal. And it's, even for those of us
1: who are a bit older at the time. Yeah, and the fact they look fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. They're just such a great redesign. I think of all the the radical Doctor Who redesigns that have been done, that's probably the most successful one mm-hmm. for me. Um, so here we have the Cybermen, and we have them obviously bit by bit. They're waking up and rampaging in the spaceship, going around killing maybe not killing as often as you think particularly given it's an Eric word script yeah. but um, here we are we've got them stomping down the corridors and these put nightmarish images in my head but of course the thing that was really from the novelization now that I'd seen the Cybermen there was something tangible in my mind now I'd seen how they moved how they walked how they talked and the thing that terrified me was that I remember having a nightmare that I was in what as Tom mentioned one of those cardboard tubes and that I was being cut up and made into Cyberman. No. Yeah. And, and, you know. And you know, you know you can feel like your bones taken out, plastic limbs being put in, in place, things like that. But bizarrely, I kept my own hands. And I vividly remember dreaming that I was in the street where I grew up. If you want to go on Google Maps, it's Bernkluch Avenue. B-U-R-N-C-L-E-U-C-H, U. Nobody's going to do that, but Cara. <laughs> Indeed, well, if you want to anyway. You can see there's a bit in the street right at the end where I was outside Mr. and Mrs. Allen's house which was number six Burncliffe Avenue and don't, I just, turn, up, don't turn up at their house now. no they're both dead now um, and the new people there I don't know but I just was looking at my I just remember being in the street here looking at my hands and my hands were made out of plastic just like a thin, you know how when you're wee you get those those play swords to have and sure. they're just that squeezy soft plastic sure. my oh, hands were no. made like that and I remember being absolutely terrified that that's, what I'd become yeah and this is when I was seven eight years old and it was just horrible and just all because of the whole imagery of course the interesting thing about uh, years later with when Earthshock was released in the, the, the Ian Martyr novelization which is brilliant when you look at the cover which I'm holding here I've got Dave's copy here you've got the doctor holding a gun on it but the interesting thing is the back blur, which I will just read to you quickly A group of paleontologists have been savagely attacked while carrying out a study of fossilised dinosaur remains in an underground cave system on 25th century earth. A party of troopers and Professor Kyle, the only survivor of the attack, are investigating the deaths of her colleagues when they discover the doctor and his companions at the site of the massacre. The time travellers are immediately suspected. In trying to establish their innocence and find out who or what was responsible for the killings, the doctor is confronted by an old enemy. Not one mention that's of the Cyberman and either. On the cover. Isn't yeah, that so bizarre? It's genius. No, it really is. It's, it's sort of, you're building up, keeping. you've got the TV surprise, and even though you know it's there, it's carried over into the target novelisation. Yeah.
3: Anticipation.
2: Well, it's also, it's also not the most, the, the only unusual thing about the target novelisation, and indeed the story, the, the, the picture of the Doctor on the front, which I didn't like it when they started using photographs, but yeah. the picture of the Doctor wielding a weapon. Absolutely. Don't cool. like that. Wrong. Don't like that. Branding
3: would not let that go through nowadays. Very unrepresented.
2: Ian Martyr was one of the best novelists oh, in in the series. I yeah.
3: yeah, I think um I remember people talking about the invasion when it was published and it's, it's, it's bit, got, visceral's the word, isn't it? Yes, and it's got the word
1: uh, it's it's got the it's no, effectively it. Alan Bastard's name, the the Maverick MP from The New Statesman. And it features that was the first thing that's it featured in a work of Doctor Who. I don't know. Yeah. and yeah. um, but I for me it's just the imagery that it conjured up. Was you know, maybe it yeah. had more of an impact than the actual story itself? Has right. um, that stayed
2: with me for so long? I remember watching it at the time, and uh, me and my friend Brem, who were both as as eager about Doctor Who as the other, and we're watching in our separate homes at the time. And there was something. I mean, although there'd be no people, maybe it's because there'd be no pre publicity. There must be something that made us think something's going to happen. There's something odd. Something interesting is going to happen here. There was just a feeling when we watched the first few minutes that this was going to see the return of an old enemy. Mm-hmm. There's something about the way the story was being told. And when they were in the, the caves and they are looking at the cave paintings, and I thought, Silurians. Yes. Of course. Thought, yeah, and I thought, oh, that's yeah. great. And then the robots turned up, and I thought, well, maybe the Silurians have got robots. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and then when and the final yeah. reveal was just so fantastic, I was straight on the phone to Brem. Saying, yep. It's a Cybermen! <laughs> yeah. It was just fantastic. It was, yeah.
3: I remember... Um, very very clear memories of, of, of um season nineteen, but I remember I remember so clearly everyone talking about it at school. I remember Derek Roy talking, being absolutely sort of fascinated by, Snyder's badge mm-hmm. lying in a puddle of goo. Yep. But, which yeah. you know, because we're all like, oh, like, we just like, wow, that was great. <laughs> but also, you know, the clips of the first second and fourth Doctors which was mm-hmm. amazing because Tom hadn't been gone that long but it was mm-hmm. so exciting as a neophyte Doctor Who fan at that yeah, point it, it, was it was back. always
2: very thrilling to see those kind of scenes and then,
3: yeah and then of course at the end of episode 4 when when, um, when the worst thing happens now, the the two things that stick in my mind are I had the novelisation the hardback of the novelization of State of Decay out, of the, out from Fox Bar Library at that point and I was devastated I was bawling my eyes out and my immediate coping mechanism as as a just literally just turned nine-year-old, was to go through the the novelisation of State of Decay (laughs) and count how many times the word Adric was in it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, You may laugh now, but... You have got serious problems, my friend. I know. It was a big help at the time. But the other thing I remember, like I said, it was everyone talking about it at school. Yeah. Um, Because there was a bunch of, about four of us that walked up to school. It was me, Andrew Keir, his little brother, Scott... Now, Andrew was a couple of years above me and there's a guy Mark whose surname I can't remember, but his nickname was Warzel. <laughs> Hi Mark if you're listening. And this I mean honestly, this is thirty nearly thirty-eight years ago, but I can remember it's as clear in my head as as we are, as is this room just now. And I remember us walking along Breadland Road up to Fox Bar Primary and talking about how Doctor Who had finished the night before. And Wurzel doing his impression of Peter Davison, looking shocked, and I was going, "Yeah, I all right, Wurzel. <laughs> you know, wasn't quite that bad, but it had such an impact because yeah. kill, killing Adric was just like, I,
2: I, devastating. I, I I've talked before, about, and other people have talked about, you know, when you're a bit older and you're watching Doctor Who, and sometimes it's a bit embarrassing because of the special effects are yeah. not very. Really, I'm maybe talking mention about, that next time, Tom. Uh, we maybe talk about more about it next, next week, but especially in the classic adventures. Um, To me, The Death of Addict was wonderful. I (laughs) (laughs) I loved it, right? And I was sad, right? Right, But I loved it because I was watching this thinking, ha, one in the eye for all you people that say Doctor Who's for kids. I thought, this is an adult drama. This is is serious. This is life and death, mate. This isn't just big, horrible monsters that don't look very good. This is about somebody dying. And I felt it was really adult and Mm -hmm. I was really pleased. Particularly but you know that the next episode they're going to have
1: a
3: whole load of discussion on how they cope with Andrik's death. You know that's coming up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's, you know, big finish that I think, on Twitter recently when they were sort of saying which, you know, which gaps would you like to see his plug? And I genuinely would love Earthshock episode five where they deal with mopping up the Cybermen, where they rescue the freighter crew, when they have... More, the... more, more like mopping up Andrik, would Yeah. Where <laughs> yeah. yeah. well, they have the adult conversation. Because that's the thing, you watch Time Flight and it's... It's not. It's not very realistic. Is yeah. It? A sneeze later. One. Right. Uh, right. Okay. So right, Everyone's done, and you know Janet gets a scene, where she's a wee bit stroppy. Do you, I love it, the thing though? No, I did watch. I did watch Earth Shock again in preparation, and it's so obvious in that final scene that Sarah Sutton, bless her, is trying not to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she um is the doctor. Peter Davison is starting the console in the background. Giving his, you know, all. Giving his all. Hair immaculate as always. And Teagan is sort of in the foreground. And you can see as, as Nessa sort of turns and buries her head and, and Teagan showed her. And you can see that Sarah is trying so hard not to laugh. In, in, in this, Poor Adric.
2: The special features in, uh, for Earthshock uh, is the, it was Stephen Moffat's first real appearance, really, in this, right. kind of Doctor yeah, Who universe. So long, he? Um, and he... You know, I don't th- I wonder if he and Matthew Waters have ever met since. <laughs> yes, <then. laughs> it's
3: terrific. That's a really, that's a good documentary. Yeah, it is good. It? Yeah. It's on um... the spinning cyberhead.
1: It's yeah. start where they really kicked off. Yeah.
2: Well, you can come out from behind the sofa now. We've finished talking about the scary things. That's it for this latest episode of The Power of Three. We will be back shortly with uh, another episode. But in the meantime, subscribe to us on iTunes, and if you like us, leave a review and if you don't like us, do not leave a review You can also subscribe to us on Spotify Follow us on Twitter at Power of 3 Pod, that's 3 as a number Power of 3 Pod We also have a Facebook page where you can leave comments suggestions and of course listen to episodes of this podcast So from me Tom, it's goodbye From um, me David, it's goodbye, take care And from me Kenny, it's good night.
1: and please, don't have nightmares Ah-hoo!